Today on Writers Get Animated. No! Put the microphone down. You think I'm kidding? Opening lines are for closers. The bus, baby. Stay tuned. Good day, I'm Mackenzie Worrell slash Alec Baldwin. And I'm Chris Leva. Welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation and storytelling and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Which kind of fits into the storytelling part, I guess. It does a little bit, in a weird, weird way. <laughs> in a weird, weird way! I had coffee before this, so I apologize for any sing-song moments that come out. Um... Today, we're talking about The Boss Baby, uh, the new animated feature from DreamWorks. Um, last time we asked you to watch this, uh, without either one of us having seen it first, solely based on the trailer and the fact that it was a surprise hit its opening weekend. So we're a little behind the times we know some of our movie episodes we do to coincide with opening weekend or right after. This one is, uh, by the time you listen to this, it'll be like a month later. So, mm, Sorry. Uh, Chris, overall, what were your expectations going into this movie and what did you walk out thinking? Well, going into the film, seeing a couple of trailers, including the Beauty and the Beast trailer that they did with um, essentially the baby with Alec Baldwin's voice having a candlestick and a clock and making fun of the live action Beauty and the Beast, I was not expecting a lot. In fact, the Boss Baby, based on the trailers, was one that I was looking forward to skipping until our recap of 2017, to be perfectly honest. Um, having, so I think somewhere within the first 10 minutes, I was feeling pretty good about it. And when I left, I was like, that, was, that wasn't bad. I, I enjoyed myself. I thought it was an enjoyable movie. There, we have a lot to talk about. Because um, uh, I think it does some DreamWorks things that DreamWorks does that I could have gone without, but I think it was a it was a good movie. I had a good time. My son did not, but I had a good time. <laughs> I I would have to agree. I definitely uh, was looking forward to skipping it as well. The trailer, and I have to say this: the trailer is completely different than the actual film. So if you're looking forward to skipping this episode of our podcast, please don't bear with us. The trailer is completely different than the film. Um, and I, I left feeling pretty good as well. I mean, I think DreamWorks movies that aren't Shrek 1 or 2 um, kind of fall somewhere in the scale of like a shark's tail to Megamind. <laughs> have you seen Megamind? No, I haven't seen... Have you... Have you seen the trailers for Megamind? I'm not going to watch Megamind. I think it suffers from the same thing as The Boss Baby, though. I will say, I've seen Megamind multiple times. That's how much I like it. Okay. Maybe we'll have to revisit Megamind at some point. But. Yeah, I know. We're really digging into the past here. I'm pretty sure most people tuning into this episode to, because I searched The Boss Baby on podcasts, uh, <laughs> have no idea what Megamind is because it's so old. So old being like 70 years ago. <laughs> That's a long time in animation. It certainly is. So should we talk a little bit about what it is? Yeah. And then jump into it? Where did this come from? It, the idea behind a boss baby, it's based on a book. It's yes. based on a book. I know. What? It's based on a picture book, which is about 30 some pages long by Marla Frazee. And she has done lots of children's books, picture books. She does the illustration and the story. And she came up with this idea of a child who takes over the life of the parents. So now the parents, being first-time parents, just realize how much this little thing, this little infant, is completely ruling over what they do, when they sleep, when they work, what they do, it just changes everything so that somebody who shouldn't be in charge is actually making, calling all the shots, like, like a boss. Um, she got the idea based on uh, when they, she got a family cat 
And her kids are like, this is too hard. We need to talk to the cat adoption place because this cat is just insane. This is too much. <laughs> and she's like, well, you were too much and we kept you. you know? Wow. Little, little candid for parenting, but okay. <laughs> so then she had this idea of like, yeah, babies do change the parents' lives. And so it starts off with that about the baby who's in charge. And I think it's a really sweet idea, but the movie doesn't quite follow that It adds, for a lot of reasons. I mean, I haven't read the book, obviously, so pardon me for speaking out of line. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the movie adds a lot of cinematic movie things. It's definitely an adventure movie and not like this cute picture book commentary on parenting. Right, and I think that that's, when you go from, and we talked about this when we talked about how the Grinch stole Christmas, of course, you have a 30-page children's book, and you want to expand that into a 90-minute movie, you have to add something. You either have to add backstory or a more complex plot. And they erred on the side of more complex plot. And I think, <coughs> pardon me, and I think the the complexity of the plot is its downfall. Mm. But I think I, that does not dissuade me from me saying that it was a fun film. I just think that it got so complex and they added so much extra mythology to it that it just, you could hear the scaffolding kind of creaking as you yes. watched it. I'd agree. Um, I often, I'll rate movies based on what dollar amount I feel comfortable paying to go see them. Mm-hmm. This is certainly a movie where I feel comfortable playing, paying full retail price for me to go see it. Hmm. I'm not sure if I had a family of six kids that I'd feel comfortable paying full retail price for the seven of us to go see it. Because it's a lot. Because um, you like, also have to pay for popcorn and Coke, and that just adds, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, you the have way, way fancier movie theater going experience than I do. Okay, sorry. Okay, one percenter. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, like, I, I think it's worth seeing this now, not waiting until it's in the dollar run. Like, I think it's certainly a worthwhile movie, but I agree, I wouldn't maybe see it a second time i wouldn't pay ticket price and dvd yeah i don't think it's a dvd one because you know it was fun and i'm glad i saw it but two i think that might psychologically damage my child to have it in the house (laughs) (laughs) yes you mentioned it surprised me that jack did not like this movie more i didn't feel like there was that much traumatizing in it well (laughs) jack was really my son jack who's four and a half now, my goodness, um, was really excited to go see the boss baby. He talked about it. He was raring to go. He was super excited all through the trailers. He was laughing at all the trailers. Like, he's like, I'm ready to see a movie. Let's see this. And he laughed a lot at the beginning of it. And then there was just a moment that everything turned and it just, it was just the worst movie for him. He just started crying for mommy and wanted to leave the theater. And so he and my wife had to leave for a little while because it just was too intense. I think partially I can blame um, Hans Zimmer. (laughs) For the score. We don't normally blame Hans Zimmer on Writers Get Animated. We normally thank Hans Zimmer in this (laughs) particular case. But I think Hans Zimmer had a lot to do with the traumatization my son felt while watching The Boss Baby, because music uh, affects us mm-hmm. in really, really big ways. And I think the music added to it. Also, the visuals get to be very harsh and scary, and they take some of the realism of the fantasy and play that up. And yes. I think the zombie babies are what did it mm. for, for Jack, the image of... Babies with glowing eyes and moaning and evil Hans Zimmer score going and feeling like that was the first moment of Jack going, no, no, thank you. No, turn it off. Like, I don't want this. And then 
from there on out, it just, everything was scary. He never recovered. He didn't. And I think when we talk more about the plot of this, I'll tell you a little bit more about the things that worried him because sometimes the things that worry Jack are things that you don't think would worry people. Mm -hmm. He sees the ending consequences of things long before any of us do. So, <coughs> pardon Good me. Sign. It'll be just something. Yeah. You and Dr. Rochelle Briggsleva are raising another artiste. Yeah, he's very very empathetic and like like i said he's the one person in the theater who was crying and not laughing at the end of the song you're welcome in moana <laughs> i thought you why guys like singing that now why is everyone laughing she's trapped forever in a cave he's damned her to death she is she is trapped she's alone He's stealing her boat. Why are you people laughing? Well, I think Jack can see like the immediate consequences, but he doesn't yet understand that it's a movie and there are certain rules that have to happen. Of course, the hero has to get out of the cave. I, I understand that. And you understand that. I don't, I don't know <laughs> he if Jack's quite there get yet. that. Yeah. So I also wanted to say something about. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Bless you. Sorry. Pardon me. I do want to say something else about the book. Okay. Because the idea of that it, what it's coming from and what Marla Frazee said, uh, and I have a quote here from her about the book, which is, quote, it was funnier in my mind if he was a white, stereotypical male boss in the way that the TV shows of my youth showed that sort of character. And when I just started to design the book and the look of it, I definitely was thinking of it as being a TV show in a sort of mid-century modern context. I thought maybe the book would be in black and white in the beginning and sort of framed up with an old TV screen. And so quote. like Mad Men, Mad Babies. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, there's that sense of that in the book where it, it does look very retro in terms of its design. And I think there is that design that they steal a little bit from and feels somewhat old-fashioned in the Boss Baby, the film itself. Yes, but I think that they had an audience in mind. And while they steal some of that stuff, if you're their target audience of like probably a little older than Jack, but less than a teenager, like you're not going to know any of those references, but they include just enough for you as a parent to understand what they're going for. And of course, the right. trailer is the... Now infamous cookies are for closers, which is, of course, coffees for closers from Glengarry Glen Ross, starring Alec Baldwin, who says coffees for closers. So he's reprising his role saying cookies are for closers here. Right. And only parents who have read Glen or seen, because it's not in the play, it's just in the film. Yeah. It's only in the film. Yeah. This is, this is like that moment in Avengers 2 where they make a Eugene O'Neill joke and I was the only person in the theater laughing. <laughs> this night's gonna be long like eugene o'neill long like ha 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 no one else is laughing okay i'll be quiet <laughs> um so why are we talking about this today it's because the boss baby is a sleeper hit it was originally projected to gross around 30 million in north america on its opening weekend and by day two or by friday it already grossed 20 million say so just that and it finished at about a little over 50 million for its first weekend in North America, um, which is closing it on double of what they originally thought it was going to do. And the second weekend, it made as much as they originally thought it was going to make the first weekend. It's a lot of money for a movie mm -hmm. that a lot of people kind of wrote off. So we're examining why. Is this repeatable? Did people see it and then spread the word? Or is it just like people love Alec Baldwin because he's really in right now? Maybe both. I think it might be both. <laughs> I don't know if it's like I don't know if I feel bad for Alec Baldwin for just being pigeonholed into like this angry awful boss stereotype but it's really good for him capitalize on it he's you know Glen Gary Glen Ross 30 Rock Boss Baby SNL like there's just it's all that it's all the same thing yelling at the stewardess on a plane it's all that was real life but that's all the same thing <laughs> 
I went there. I'm sorry, Alec Baldwin. Wow. I do love you. <laughs> He's going to come after you so hard. And I will live for it. I would love to be harangued by Alec Baldwin. And <laughs> Not our at WG animated, of course. Please harangue my personal account at Mac Worrell. M-A-C-K-W-O-R-R-A-L-L. Thank you. <laughs> I want to kick off uh, our storytelling segment. Segment. Our whole podcast is about storytelling. Our storytelling part. <laughs> talking about the visual storytelling of this movie. Because um, it goes a lot in there. And like the trailer definitely looks kind of like a bland, generic, like, oh, it's another computer animated movie. Everybody looks the same. It's the same, like, regular colors of real life. Ugh, why is this animated? And then you see the film, and it answers the question of why is this animated with a resounding answer. Um, From the very opening moment. Yes. They play with imagination here. And the main character, um, what's his face? Timothy? Timothy. Timothy Templeton. Timothy Templeton um, talks about he was very imaginative as a kid. Well, I'm sorry. The narrator, the older Timothy Templeton, is narrating over scenes of young Timothy talking about how imaginative he was as a kid and the different things that he saw. Um, and so it's it's very reverent of childhood. You can hear um, like the sounds of like him fighting, I don't know, a space monster. There's definitely like he's a T-Rex sidekick in space, which was a little reminiscent of that one awful, like not animated. Whoopi Goldberg, Raptor Cop movie, whatever it was called. I thought that was a joke there. I might be kidding. Um, anyway, it's very imaginative. The space is good design that mixes with it. It kind of gets... It's still computer animated, but it feels more like a storybook and 2D. And it's not just bright, interesting, contrasting colors. It's weird camera angles. They really do a good job differentiating what's imagination... And what's real life? Mm -hmm. They really do. Uh, from the, those opening moments, the color is drastic. The lines and the, the draftsmanship, for lack of a better word, because it does feel 2D, uh, do change considerably as it moves from imagination to Im imagination. Underwater space in the jungle everything is just it's really i don't want to say colorful but it's really really drastic color in a good way a lot of blacks pure pure blacks in there it did remind me a lot of um like 90s batman the animated series a little bit with mm -hmm. animating on the black paper um and what i think is interesting dramaturgically about this movie is while like there's parts that are clearly imagination they establish in the world of this movie are imagination and they animate them differently they kind of they're a little coy with like baby corp and like all the weird baby corporation stuff being imagination or not and it's not animated like imagination but they kind of imply that timothy imagined this as a kid right now there's here's something though and this is a dramaturgical issue is if this is coming from timothy's mind we see what it's like what things look like when timothy is in control of the imagination and the play but it's implied and insinuated that timothy's going to sleep so maybe in dream where he doesn't have control over what's happening, you know, it's not a waking dream. It's, it's not him being in control. So it feels real, but it's a dream. So maybe that's where they were able to get away with this looks real because his mind is perceiving it as real because it's a dream and not imagination. Okay. I could get on board that with that. I think it's a stretch, but I could get on board. It's it's a big stretch, but I but these are the things that my dramaturgical mind had to do to try to figure it out. It goes back to Inception and the spinning top. You know, are we in dream? Are we imagination? What's going on here? Are we? Is this real or is any of it real? Did you just compare the Boss Baby to Inception? 
Just in <gasps> just the slightest terms. Conception. The Boss Baby uh, prequel. <laughs> Directed by Christopher Nolan. Hans Zimmer would do the music, so you still got that. <laughs> anyway. Um, that was that was really well done. I appreciate that. that. That's that's <laughs> the, the joke of the episode. Don't get used to it. Um, what I really appreciate about this movie is I know we've talked before about how animation is figuring out how it's different than film. Mm-hmm. And the trailer for this movie wasn't different than film. There wasn't really a reason for this to be animated. As you call out at one point, it's basically without the imagination sections, this would be look who's talking. Right. And that's, that's, that's the only thing that would be funny about it. Oh, look, Alec Baldwin's voice is coming out of a tiny blonde baby. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. And they do a good job establishing why this needs to be animated and how it is different than watching a live action movie with like a digitally altered mouth of a baby matching the words. Yeah. So that's good. I like that. That's my thought. Hmm. Now, I think that when you are in animation, as we've been saying with the talk of visual storytelling, that that is the big question is, how are we going to make this different? How are we going to put a spin on it? How are we going to tell our story our way? Because you can do anything. So why just make something that looks like the world <laughs> when you have the ability to do anything? Mm-hmm. And they use that to tell the plot of the story as well. It's only when Boss Baby is dragged into the imagination that things really change. Mm-hmm. So, what we're saying is very good. Good right. job, DreamWorks. But And we gave props to DreamWorks on Kung Fu Panda 3 we when did. they did the same visual storytelling. Whenever they did things visually, it was, it was great. It was terrific. I'm hearing, Chris, that you're um, <clears throat> warming up to DreamWorks, which means you'll give Shrek 5 a chance. Um, I listen to this other podcast, which is called The Hypotheticast, and they give would-you-rathers, right? That's part <laughs> of their segment is would-you-rather. And they said, I can't remember what the other choice was. It was a horrible, horrific thing. Would you rather have this horrible, horrible thing or... Every movie that you watch slowly morphs into Shrek. <laughs> and I was like, no, hell no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Like, that's the one time on my commute home from work that I was shouting, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, that being said, I probably will be forced to watch Shrek 5 because of this podcast. Well, you'll be interested to learn that the screenwriter for The Boss Baby, Michael McCullers, is also writing Shrek 5. Yeah, speechless. <laughs> Boom. Okay, let's can we talk about this story? Let's talk about this story because I think this is where we have to uh, this is where we have to go. This is where we have to tie it back up. Okay, all right, let's talk about the writing and what they do. And I think there's a... What they don't show at all in the trailer is the wit of this movie. There's a lot of wit. The trailer's all slapstick. Almost all the slapstick in this movie falls flat as an adult watching it. It's just not that interesting. But there's a lot of good wit and jokes. Yes. And I would agree with that. I think that the core part of this movie is the double meaning of certain like English language phrases. And I'm not sure how they would localize this. Like, they talk a lot, like the older Timothy's narrating the beginning, like, I got a younger brother. Well, I was imaginative and don't really remember exactly how it happened. There's one thing I know for sure. It was delivered in a taxi, and a taxi pulls up, and the boss baby walks out with a briefcase. And, of course, the, the double meaning here is that his mom had the baby in a taxi. It was delivered in a taxi. 
And there's a lot of that. They talk about how his parents are marketing people and they launch products, which translates into a physical rocket ship that they launch, dropping puppies yes. across the world. Um, and of course, there's also the baby bossing parents around. Um, where do babies come from? And I think part of what this tickles for me is a memory that is from my own childhood, which I don't remember at all, but my dad never stops to tell anyone. So I'll tell it on the podcast now for the entire world to know. I remember as a kid, we like went to a car dealership and my mom bought a new car or something. And so my dad and I are driving away one car and my mom's behind us and she gets caught at a traffic light that turns red. And I say like, oh no, we're leaving her behind. And my dad says, no, no, she'll catch up. And I just turn to my dad and say, mommy's not catch up. It's like very stirred. So for me, <laughs> it's these double meaning phrases that I think are really interesting because they take on that surprise other meaning that you don't expect. And that's the conceit of this movie. It's the boss baby. The baby's the boss. That one's not and, as clear. Um, well, that's the one thing is that kids are very, very literal in their understanding that what you say is exactly what you mean. They Or they mishear something and it makes just perfect sense their own way. Yeah, we, we work on a product launch. The only thing that launches are rockets so of course that makes sense that we would be getting together in a rocket to launch it up you know mm. i and i think it's it's coming in from timothy's perspective what's interesting is that in the original book there is no timothy mm. it's just the parents and their baby which is interesting in itself that it's this story of how these parents are reacting to their new life bossed around by this child. And while that happens in The Boss Baby, there's also the added function that we have to have a character to see this through. And so we get Timothy. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know. But we have Timothy for two reasons. One, to help us see how strange this is and to understand the world, but also to allow the world to have its weird things in it. To, like, all, this only works because of his imagination, and that's how they explain it away, is this is all imagined by Timothy instead of, wait, if it's literally a baby who's the boss of his parents, like, I guess the, the question you have to ask is, is this only perceived as a metaphor by the parents. Is this a real baby who's really a boss of some kind? Or is it someone else's imagination? <coughs> Excuse me. So I think that's where we get in into it a little bit, is those, those are your three choices, really. Is It's a manifestation of, it's a metaphor, it's just a metaphor and that's it but you can't really do a metaphor in a movie mm -hmm. in, in the same way that sustains 90 minutes of metaphor. Um, is it just the imagination of the parents, which most people going to a kid's movie aren't going to want to live with Jimmy Kimmel and Lisa Kudrow as parents dealing with their baby who's now changed their life because that's a different movie entirely yeah. for 90 minutes. That's like a Leica movie, which I would see. I would see that. <laughs> I would see that. And then the, the third choice is to add a kid who now becomes the, the new focus, the new lens that we see the film through, which I, is Timothy. I think that's fine. Timothy is the same age as their target audience for watching this movie. And he provides mm -hmm. a lot of ability to play with animation and storytelling while also allowing the primary audience to have uh, I mean Timothy's not a Mary Sue um, but he acts as a Mary Sue in a certain way like it's it's how they see in mm -hmm. that's true hmm. hmm okay sorry I got lost in thought there yeah but so now we now we have a new main character of Timothy instead of a character of quote family, two parents and and their child. Mm 
now we have Timothy, who's now the protagonist. And we get this mystery of this boss baby who babies before they're delivered from baby corp or baby core. I guess it's core. I don't know. It's probably core, but I always think it looks better with a P and sounds more evil when you add a P sound. I agree. So baby corp. Yeah. Um, Oration. (laughs) So they have baby corp where babies are delivered from and they tickle the babies and the babies that laugh go to have love and families (laughs) And then the babies that don't laugh when they're tickled uh, get sent to management. <laughs> and they get to live in cubicles and be doomed to an existence of never having childhoods and just being sent. Wow, this is really dark. Just getting sent right to work in this corporation to deliver babies, other children, to be able to have love that they themselves weren't allowed to feel simply because the fickle feather of fate did not tickle their fancy and show that they were worthy of love by actual human parents. Yeah, that is kind of dark when you say it that way. (laughs) And in that tone. And it makes you wonder, like, what, what are all these babies managing this whole time? What happens to... All of the, they go through like a hall with like paintings of old boss babies with variations of names. Super boss baby, big boss baby. Well, big boss baby is the boss. Um, Big fat colossal boss baby. Yes. There's a lot of variations of boss baby in here. Um, So I think we do need to talk about the film's villain. So spoilers here. Um, Francis E. Francis, a baby without love or a family. And he was... Whichever giant, super colossal boss baby that boss baby looked up to until he became lactose intolerant. It could no longer have their youth formula and was sent to go live with a family where he did not get the love. So it's a parallel journey to boss baby in many ways, which I think is Mm -hmm. interesting. It's like if you're a management and you're sent down, you either accept love or you reject love. So we get both. Now, is this also something against breastfeeding and formula feeding? I think like, you're going. You're going too deep. Get out of. Are the- you sure? Are oh, you sure? No. Oh no! It's just a magic baby bottle, Chris. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You can't. Go on. Go on. Oh, um, I was reading that Kevin Spacey originally signed on to voice the villain, which at first was like, oh, Kevin Spacey's a great villain voice. And I thought about it, I was like, mm, but Steve Buscemi's a much better like adult baby voice. Like sounds like a baby who grew up. Grew up. Like, would you agree? I feel like Steve Buscemi is the perfect choice for Francis T. Francis. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Knowing the backstory, which was told in a really fun way um, in terms of a pop-up book. Yes, I love the pop-up book. Showing his backstory, it was really great. Jack thought that was fun, but um, like the pop-up book, but also was horrified at this child's backstory that he grew up and became an evil person. And this is the part that Jack cried most about was what was going to happen to all those babies if this guy destroys Baby Corp. And that's what upset him like the most. And where he had to like, what's going to happen to all those babies if Baby Corp is destroyed? What's gonna? Who's gonna take care of all these babies? Oh my god! So young, so innocent. <laughs> What's gonna happen? Too good for this world, Jack. I know, and like when he told me, like, what, what you told me, you know, that that's what he was afraid of. It's like, oh, yeah, I didn't. I was. We operate as adults, knowing that this is gonna be fine in the end. 
one, it's going to be okay, and they're going to defeat the villain. And two, Baby Corp's not real. <laughs> so there's no real threat at all. We're fine. But him, he's like, wait a minute, Baby Corp? He's going after ba- the Baby Corp? <laughs> so. Uh, I don't know how to help him. <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know if I should. That's the thing. Like, I think he's, I don't think I should help him. I, it's, that's just a great amount of empathy to be able to think about, wait a minute, what's going to happen to those babies? You can never show him any Christmas theme movie that's about like the possibility of Santa retiring or going away. Yeah. I, we have to be very careful of, um, <laughs> We, we, we have to slowly introduce the canon to him. <laughs> <laughs> like the Disney canon or the animated canon or like the, the canon of good movies, which includes, I would say, aliens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think all of the above. We're, I'm just slowly getting him what he can handle. And um, I don't know. Based, based on the trailers of The Boss Baby, I thought it was going to be really, really silly there wasn't going to be anything scary, nothing threatening, nothing emotionally terrifying or traumatizing, but oops. But, you know, like, we as adults talk about, like, oh, yeah, remember that villain from that animated movie when we were kids? That scarred me for life. Like, it's a badge of pride. So I'm wondering if animators oh, now, right. like, want to scar kids for life so they always remember this movie. Right. Are they trying to secretive nim us and just, like, <laughs> horrify us? Forever. P- possibly. I do remember possibly. being very upset as a kid about the uh, the wheat thresher and thinking about how it could grind up animals and probably was grinding up other animals. Yeah. That's, See? that's my Francis. See, Francis. See, it's this, wait a minute, this, and then he went like five steps that way and suddenly it's a horrifying experience. Oh, jeez. So. Well, let's talk about some of the happy things in this movie. I want to talk about off-brand Gandalf the Alarm Clock. Yes, that best part of the movie. Yes. Not my favorite thing, but I think the best part of the movie. I would agree. Something that was originally just a plot device of like, we need you to know that it's morning and Timothy's waking up turned into like his imaginary sidekick friend, off-brand Gandalf the Alarm Clock, who's never turned into Gandalf or named or a full-fledged wizard. He's always an animatronic clock wizard person. Hanging right. in a dungeon or doing things. And the only way I can describe this voice is actor James McGrath doing his best Patrick Stewart as Ian McKellen on extras talking about how he plays Gandalf. Yeah. That, that is the best. Because at times I'm like, is this Ian McKellen? And sometimes I'm like, no, it sounds a little more like Patrick Stewart. Exactly. Like, no, it sounds like... So it was, it was really... That, when I read your description of James McGrath... <laughs> doing a Patrick Stewart impression, doing an impression of Ian McKellen. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and he has all these great one-liners of like, as he's trying to like move the plot along, they, they sing the song Blackbird by the Beatles multiple times. It's like the goodnight song. And so to comfort Timothy, the alarm clock starts singing, Blackbird flying in the dead of night. Fly, you fools! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wizzy. It's another unexpected twist. And uh, I think the, the Game of Thrones one that was a little weird, like, there's only darkness in winter. <laughs> yeah, I, I laughed a lot at Wizzy the Wizard. I would watch a Wizzy the Alarm Clock spinoff movie. Yeah. Not with him as a main character, but like he's a sidekick still. Yeah. It would, it would have to be like an off-brand Hobbit film. <laughs> Which would be really funny. <laughs> I don't know what we'd title it, but it'd be like Hobbits or something like that. Hobbits, colon, there in Red Rover again. I don't know. Well, I think um, I, there, there were a lot of things that made me laugh in this. You said the... Um, Elvis convention. Oh. You, you, 
I love all the Elvises. And it's total kid logic, which I think implies well, too. They're, Timothy and Boss Baby are at the airport. They need to get to Las Vegas. And they're like, what plane is going to Las Vegas? How do we get to Las Vegas? And they look around and say, oh, Elvises, follow the Elvis. <laughs> well, of course, all the Elvises are going to Las Vegas. That's how that works. Right. And they, like the Elvises are reciting Elvis lyrics, but they have subtitles to translate what this means. <laughs> And I actually, Elvis is one of my favorite musicians. I'm not going to lie. I'm an old man like that. I love Elvis Presley. <laughs> so, like, it just had more layers for me. <laughs> <sighs> I can't talk see, about it too much. That's, <laughs> and I feel like when we got to the Elvises, that for me, as we moved into the third act of the film, was where it just got too much. Too crazy? Yeah, I was just like, you've I'm I'm out. It just got too convoluted. It got a little bit there with the crazy brother of Francis E. Francis. Yeah. Who I, I was just not into at all. Um it's just like when whenever it just got to be too far of, yeah, I believe that something like that could happen. Like, you have me with talking baby. Sure. Fine. <laughs> the baby's talking. Great. The baby's calling other babies from the neighborhood, and they're having meetings, and they're having these chase scenes and doing whatever with these other children, trying to get the tape back because Timothy recorded them. That's great. Funny. But then you have this guy, and they're you know, manipulating him as a... Like, well, who is this character? And I I wasn't understanding. I was just getting, like, we didn't know how to end it. For me, I agree. I think that once they get to Las Vegas, it feels a little bit different than the rest of the film. But I think that's partly intentional. The colors are a lot brighter. It's a lot more imaginative and a lot more literal. So it's kind of veering into imagination world. I'm not sure if that's what they're implying because of course the kids can't sneak onto an airplane alone without a ticket and make their way to Las Vegas. That's not going to happen. So is this imagination? Is it not? Is the mm -hmm. third act entirely made up? So I'm willing to like give it a pass because I think I see what they're going for with the literal rocket ship and the parents trapped beneath it. Um, I'm fine with that being a little bit different. Right. But it is like, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot of literalness all of a sudden. Yeah. And I think it, it just was so backloaded too. It just feels like now we're, now we're getting crazier. Now we're getting crazier. Now we're so crazy. And now they're, they're making the choices that bring about the ending. And I'm like, now we're here. How did we, how did we end up here? So, but I mean, I appreciate it. And then we, we do a time jump and realize that it's actually, it's older Timothy and now they're grown up. And then I got confused even further. Uh, like, a, like a lot happened. There's this parts of the like um, epilogue that I think are fitting and work well. I think you need to see Timothy as an adult with his older brother as like this big businessman on his phone constantly, but they love each other. Like you see everything works out. Right. I think that's necessary. I'm not sure if we needed to introduce like Timothy's daughter into it. The, the one thing about it, there were two weird things about the epilogue and this comes from knowledge of the book. So there is a sequel book called The Bossier Baby. So the sequel to the book is now the boss baby has to contend with a new baby. Mm -hmm. So essentially he's Timothy, and now there's a new daughter. So he has a new sister, who I imagine is Meryl Streep. You know, <gasps> Of course you'd have to have Meryl Streep as the bossier baby, right? <sighs> Oh man, you have no idea how much I'd watch this film. A new like underground secret like 
gay iconography film. Boss your baby. Meryl Streep reprising her role in Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, that's... Oh, now, so that's, that's where I was thinking when I saw that there was Boss Your Baby. So I said, at the end of this, you do have to have... Either you end it with them being a family and then the mother's pregnant again. Or you do what they did and introduce now one of them is having a child. Now, would it have been good to have Theodore, who's the name of the, the boss baby now, him becoming a father? And how now his life is going to change because now the baby's going to be the real boss. Or have it be, you know, another daughter. But we're having the same thing with, we're just having the same story just with girls. Well, I think they're going to backtrack a bit because McCullers did say that they're possibly thinking about a sequel also titled The Bossier Baby. Um, and I'm not sure that they expected this movie to do as well as it did. Mm-hmm. Based on the marketing and their projected earnings. So I think that this is a, a surprise to them. I don't think they intended this to lead into a sequel. So they took the ending or the, the possibility of a sequel from the sequel book and mixed it into the fitting natural end of their reinterpreted movie where of course timothy is an adult is having a daughter now so i mm -hmm. as a standalone film i see how that works if they do a sequel hypothetically meryl streep as a baby um i would love to see it with timothy and theodore as kids again maybe theodore a bit older and they get a younger sister because mm -hmm. also like you gotta have alec baldwin back right So in my mind, they would go back and redo that. Mm-hmm. And you'd kind of want that. Yeah. You want to be in the same world, not like weird adult world. I mean, I like yeah. weird adult world, but not, not every kid does. And it was strange that Timothy and Theodore, as adults, you don't get to see their faces. Yeah, uh. They were the only adults you never saw the faces of. It's not like it was a conceit from earlier or anything. It just, we didn't get to see who they were. It just felt a little strange to me that we didn't see them. And I know there's probably a reason to imagine them as the kids and have that focus on them as kids and not see what the horrors of age have done and hard living <laughs> and drinking that I would imagine that Theodore would have done in his life amount well, of we can't know. project he might be a straight edge baby you never know he might be i'm just saying it just was a little strange to not be able to see them as adults hmm. if you're gonna have them in as adults why hide their faces you know hmm. okay but well chris tell me what was your favorite thing about this movie my favorite thing was very early on, I mean, I thought about this and I went back and forth whether it was a single one-liner or anything like that, but I think for me it was when the camera was panning across and half of the screen was slowly turning back into reality and half of the screen was still the fantasy. I think it was the jungle one where the dad was pretending to be an animal or something mm. and it was just panning and I think a tree was the midpoint. Oh, yeah. And, and then the tree, you see the barbecue going on, and then you see something else from outside and what they're wearing. And it's, it just was a really, really nice transition. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Well what, about, what about for you? Um, it's got to be the one-liner when Boss Baby's dragged into Timothy's fantasy world for the first time, and they're having a pirate fight. And Timothy shouts, parry and thrust, to try and, like, teach him how to be a pirate. Parry and thrust! Mm -hmm. And Bosby responds, heck of a law firm. <laughs> that tickled me. I did ask Jack what his favorite thing was about Boss Baby, and he said, nothing. <laughs> Harsh judgment. So, nothing was my favorite thing from Boss Baby. We as writers get animated do not endorse Jack's opinion. Uh, he's just a 
occasional contributor. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Now we do have some unfinished business that you wanted to discuss. We do because our podcast is secretly uh, about the Academy Award for Best Animated Picture the entire year leading up to it. Um, There's a recent rules change to the voting. So there's nothing really to talk about, but just FYI, as we look toward the future of the Oscars. Um, the best animated feature category voting has been opened up to the entire Academy membership instead of just members in the animation realm. So what does this mean? That means that um, in years like this past year where we have uh, such films as My Life as a Zucchini and The Red Turtle nominated, that's probably less likely to happen in the future. It's kind of the same way you don't see a lot of foreign films or foreign language films nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're probably going to see more things. I mean, I think either way, The Boss Baby is probably going to be one of the nominees for the next Academy Awards. But we're going to see more stuff like, will, uh, what's another, will Captain Underpants make its way into a nominee for Best Picture? Another movie that I'm judging by the trailer and haven't seen. Sorry. Mm Mm-hmm. Will Miyazaki ever get a nomination again? Eh, probably not. Maybe. We'll have to see. Yeah. So, should we talk homework time? Let's. For homework time, we are asking you to go see the Smurfs, Smurfs The Lost Village, the new film out from Sony Animation Studios. And we know, (laughs) you can hear the tone of Chris's voice here. We know that um, if you are a longtime follower of our podcast and you too are an animation snob, we're asking you to see two movies with questionable trailers in a row. Obviously, The Boss Baby worked out. Trust us, there's a reason to this one too. There is. There is. And with that, as always, we want to say thank you to our engineer, Nigel Coutinho, and thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Uh, if you have any thoughts about The Boss Baby, you can tweet at us on Twitter, at WG Animated. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated, and find all of our show notes and links and more details about everything Boss Baby related at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Awesome. I did remember one of my favorite other lines is the people of Long Island don't know how to make iced tea. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, questioning it's like, oh, the children oh. drinking that. Yeah. Ooh. 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 Las Ooh. Vegas, no. <laughs> ah. Good night, sir, for closers, because you're closing the podcast. Oh. Yeah, so good night, everybody.